0: So let's read verse 23 and 24 aloud together. Uh, chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, let's begin. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Will you pray with Yes, Lord, we are so thankful that that promise that Paul speaks by the Holy Spirit, that he who calls us is faithful and will do it. Lord, you remain faithful even when we are not. For you cannot deny yourself. And as we've gathered this morning, Lord, we are Privileged and grateful and thankful for your faithfulness in our lives. Lord, would you open up our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law. May this time in your word truly be a time where our spiritual man is fed by the fresh and now manna of your word. We ask you, Lord, to be honored and glorified. As we have already invited you to have your way, we now just ask you to speak for your servant listens. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to go ahead and sit with you this morning. The overall title or category is really some final exhortations from this portion of the book of 1 Thessalonians. So I want to draw your eyes backward now to verse 12. Uh, Having left off last time we were together in verse 11, we pick it up now again in verse 12 and move forward. And you will see there that the Apostle Paul, in writing to this uh, classic church, I mean, these... Believers were uh, noteworthy. Uh, they are given such uh, accolades and encouragement at the beginning of the book. You may recall when we started the study that the Apostle Paul talks about how they have a great love for one another and, and that they are serving and working in the things of God faithfully. And yet he, with that good report coming to him from Timothy, wanting to write back and make certain that uh, solid, factual, truthful things to each one of them that calls themselves a Christian would be uh, documented. And as the Lord would oversee the writing of the New Testament, would fall into the hands of every believer moving forward in what today is the church. The church at large. The church. ecclesia, Called out ones. Which each one of us that that names the name of Christ, we are part of the body of Christ, the church. And so this letter is as much It goes without saying, but this letter is as much to you and I as it is to the Thessalonians. But it's important to read it in that way. That this is not a a timed document that expires. So often I'm kind of the one who's always looking at the expiration date on things in our refrigerator. And if you... Uh, travel that road, you know very well that it's a good idea to sometimes look at the the bottom of that small curd cottage cheese. How much is it? How long has it been in there, right? And you realize it's a month old and before you open and take a bite, it's past its expiration date. Not so with the word of God and not so with this letter and not so with these words to you and to me this morning. Those of you who are at home watching online, whether you're doing that this morning, the day after Christmas, or viewing this later, not so. It hasn't expired. It's every bit as relative. This moment, as it was at the moment that Paul was penning, and so I pray that as, however far we get this morning, I, I am not certain that we will close the book today. Because these final exhortations are not to be rushed through. They're beautiful and critical. So let's draw our eyes to this first exhortation here. In verse 12 and 13 he says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. A couple of things that are certainly worth noting there and important to uh, understand when we come to the concept of, of Paul in exhorting the Thessalonians to recognize those who labor among them, he's speaking of those who are serving in various capacities, uh, every believer there in Thessalonica. There were those that would uh, rehearse and talk about and teach the Old Testament scriptures, as the New Testament was being formed and written. There were those individuals whose zeal and love for Jesus Christ began to develop in them uh, a call to lead and lead by serving. And whether that service had to do with uh, the ministry of the word of God or ministry to the the ill, uh, caring for children, seeing to it that practical needs of those who are in the body of Christ were met. Paul is saying, hey, be sure you you recognize those. Uh, Interestingly enough, the original language tells us that it's not written in such a way that that sort of individual is to be lifted up, but rather you're to know them, you're to see them, and you're to be aware of who they are. And we're given in that same context what their specific service is, is that they are to be admonishing who are over you in the Lord and Admonish you. They are to be admonishing those in the church. Encouraging. Over you in the Lord is one of those statements that uh, has been abused through the annals of Christendom. There are those who have abused spiritual authority and taken places in, in the leadership of the church and used Uh, their position as a place to rule and uh, dictate and and govern the behavior of those in their flock. How sad. You know, remember what Jesus said, or John tells us that Jesus said in the book of Revelation. In the second chapter, in the sixth verse of the book of Revelation, the Lord is speaking to a, a collective body of believers and he says, but this I have uh, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. There was this group, Nicolaitans, that came from, uh, the word comes from two sources. One, it could have been commentators say uh, a leader, Acts chapter 5, verse 6, whose name was Nicholas. Uh, also, a second idea is that the word in its original language mean, meant those who eat together. Either way, those Nicolaitans had taken a position of overlording themselves in the body of Christ. And remember what the Lord said to his disciples and to those that would follow him. He said, you know, a servant is not above his master. And he said, the greatest of you in the kingdom will be servant of all. And truly, as Paul models that, through the course of the writing of the New Testament, we, rec- we see that when he says, recognize those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, they are over the body of Christ at Thessalonica because they are serving the body of Christ, not dictating behavior and activity. And so be careful that you don't elevate leaders in the Christian church. Be very careful of that. Are we not all cut from the same cloth? (laughs) Do we not all come from the same origin? It's not to recognize them in order to elevate them, lift them up, but rather to just see them, know them, be aware of who they are. He goes on to say, esteem them very highly in love. In other words, hold them in a a right position uh, out of the love of God that you have for God. Hold such individuals and esteem them highly. He says, for their work's sake. But he closes with this comment, which I find interesting. He said, but be at peace among yourselves, because... We know that back in the church at Corinth, there was division over various leaders. Remember, some would say, I am of Paul. Others would say, I am of Paulus. Others would say, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.12. So much so that you know, people were divided over who they claimed to be their leader. Not unlike some of the things that happen today. And yet Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, we are all one in Christ and should not elevate anyone over another. Be at peace among yourselves in that regard. Very powerful it is true uh, that Paul did write to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 5.18, he said, quoting Scripture, he said, the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his hire. We've, you know, Paul was a tent maker, and he supported himself while he preached the gospel. We, in the church age have arrived at a various uh, way of caring for those who are in ministry, quote, full time. Myself, for example, I am privileged to by your giving and your faithfulness and your tithes and your offerings to be able to be a full-time pastor. Uh, Pastor Austin is still a vocational pastor. He's working full-time at uh, CVS Pharmacy as an assistant manager, but takes his position here as an assisting pastor very um, genuinely and appreciates your giving in order to, uh, allow us to help subsidize his income so that his call to ministry as a pastor can continue to be lived out in his life. And it's it's either or. I mean, not every moving forward as we see the church um, challenged by authority and government in our age in which we live, not every... Uh, individual called to full-time ministry is necessarily going to be able to be supported by the ministry. I'm very thankful. When we first started the work here in in Valley Springs, uh, my previous pastor, George Stathis uh, of Calvary Chapel, Amador, asked his board of directors if they could give Art $500 a month and a handful of chairs to start his ministry. And that's how we began. And then eventually, as you, the church, started to grow and faithfulness and giving became a reality, that $500 a month went away because that same $500 a month was able to be collected by those who were attending Calvary Chapel Valley Springs. And throughout the 20-plus years here, uh, I'm so grateful to the board of directors that has allowed through the years to increase my income so that I can do this full-time uh, while my wife taught. She uh, was a teacher at Jenny Lynn. Many of you, most of not all, know that. She retired last year. And we've been so wonderfully supported by you. It's just overwhelming. So, Truly, we thank you. And it is what Paul is talking about here. Be aware, know, and see those who are serving you in those various ways and esteem them. I take that very humbly this morning. But I encourage us this hour to be careful about elevating any leader to a place that should not be. Paul goes on in the next verse to give a fourfold ministry to every Christian. I draw your attention, of course, to verse 14, where he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Notice, a fourfold ministry for every Christian, again, who is it that Paul is writing to? He's writing to the Christians at Thessalonica. He's not saying, okay, all you leaders, here's this is for you alone. No, this is for every person in the body of Christ. So again, if you're a Christian this morning, guess what you're called to do by holy writ and Paul's exhortation. You and I both are called to warn the unruly Comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. Now, I know you are so excited to hear that that's what you're called to do this morning. Let's begin with warning the unruly. I see a a great line, if you will, and on the end of that line are two extremes. Uh, the one extreme would be, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.11, when Paul was talking to the Thessalonians, he said, you know, earn a living and, and live a quiet life and mind your own business. Some have mistakenly taken that verse as to, the, they're to completely stay out of other believers' lives. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about don't be a busybody and place yourself into someone's business and in their life when you have no relationship. There's nothing going on that would connect you with that individual. You and I as Christian men and women have no business, according to scripture, putting ourselves in their business because there's no relationship. But on the other extreme, we know also that in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul writes a clear rebuke to believers in the church at Corinth who were embracing sexual immorality. Even one as such was having his his, uh, father's wife And there were those in the church that weren't willing to deal with open, willful rejection of biblical truth. And Paul was saying, no, you must deal with that because there's relationship. They're in your lives. They're in the church. And if they are openly and willfully rejecting the truth of Scripture, Paul says they're to be... Cast out, deal with such a one so that they can feel the effect of their choice of sin. Two extremes. Do nothing at all. Intervene and actually seek to expel someone or remove someone from fellowship until they can feel the effect of their choice of sin. Where's the balance? The balance is right here in this verse that we're talking about. It begins with a warning of the unruly. Do you know what that actually means? It means to caution and reprove gently. If you're taking note this morning, to warn the unruly means to caution them and to reprove them, keyword gently. The word unruly means insubordinate. Anyone who would be unwilling to submit subordinate, make themselves subordinate to the truth of Scripture. And you and I, every Christian has a ministry to warn such a one who takes that position. We're told in Galatians 6.1 that if any man be overtaken in a fault, someone you know that continues to just kind of head that way in their life, where there is a Sin that continues to rule and negatively affect their walk with Christ the book of Galatians 6:1 tells us we who are spiritual are seek to are to seek to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, gentleness. So the balance is right there where there is relationship, where there is a recognition of someone being unruly and insubordinate to the truth of Scripture, then we can't just decide not to say anything. And it's not our place to, in order to uh, remove them from fellowship. We are to intervene and warn them. But at the same time, we are to comfort anyone in the body of Christ that is faint-hearted, Another King James version of the Bible says feeble-minded or little spirit or basic, simple, just simple. And they're overwhelmed by some of the regular and and littler things in life. They're, They're unstable because of the circumstances in which they live. We are to comfort them with the same comfort wherewith we have been comforted of God. When it comes to the weak, Paul's specifically and more importantly referring to those who are ill, those who are sick. The King James Version of the Bible says support. New King James says to uphold. Uphold the weak. Those who are ill, those who are sick, we're to to support them, get in there and do things for them to help them through that illness and that time. And all of this, beloved, removes or, or moves us, rather, to saying, uh, well, I've been doing this for a long time. And I've been doing it for so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so. And there's no change. They, they continue to be unruly. And I continue to try and comfort them. And, and I try and help to say, And there's no change in what the Spirit of God would remind me of, and you this morning, is that we are to be patient with all. After all, for what reason would we do any of this? Why? Rather, better question, for whom would we be doing any of this? Would we be doing, would we be warning someone of their unruliness because we want to see change in their life? Would would we be comforting someone who is overwhelmed by basic circumstances because they're always kind of in our ear, complaining or uneasy? Would we be taking a meal or helping someone who is ill so that we would feel better about ourselves or perhaps make them feel better because they have a meal that they could. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. All that we do, we are to do as unto whom? The Lord. And if we are truly doing it as unto the Lord, then it is from the Lord through which we will receive a reward. If we're doing it as unto ourselves or even unto the individual or individuals that we're seeking to minister to, then our target and our goal is incorrect. We are to serve in these ways and to do all of these things as unto the Lord and to be patient unto the Lord. Patience, one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience. And that agape love in you and I this morning, that agape love can allow and empower us to be patient. For love is kind, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and never fails. That fruit of the Spirit, fourfold ministry for each one of us to warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient. With all. In verse 15, the Apostle Paul goes on to exhort the Thessalonian Christian that they are not to render evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourself and for all. Notice that. He begins that exhortation with the word "See that." In other words, take heed. be watchful, that no one in the body of Christ is trying to get even with someone else that they perceive has done them wrong or has uh, behaved toward them unchrist-like or incorrectly, not our job. That's a hard one to remember at times, especially when the offense is personal or close. I remember years ago when we as a Christian ministry were being um, targeted by an individual that truly believed we were not standing up against abortion. And this individual was so adamantly Um, against the pastoral ministry here, myself and at the time an assisting pastor named Mike Scanlon, that he would stand out in front of the church when we were meeting at the school and he would carry a sign with, um, what's the word? uh, Anyway, he would use our names and say that we are not fighting against abortion. Don't come to this church. They, They... don't, they promote abortion, so to speak. Uh, I think the word is defame, right? Character, defamation. And and it just went on and on, weeks and weeks. Some of you were here at that time, and, and we didn't know what to do. It's like, people would drive up and, oh, you know, feel like going away. And it made I know me in my own heart it's like I wanted to get vengeance with this guy. How can I take this guy out? He's not telling the truth. He's misrepresenting the fellowship. He's misrepresenting me and and my wife and our assistant pastor and his wife. We tried discussion. We tried welcoming. We tried everything we knew to do and and you know the The Bible's clear as you're not to go to court with your brother. He claimed himself to be a Christian, didn't ever want to, you know, have to engage the law. But what we did do is engage legal counsel. And when legal counsel got involved with a uh, Pacific Justice Institute in Sacramento, explained to them what was going on, Uh, They reminded us that he was in defamation of character and there could be legal action taken against him. And so I think we went as far as even warning him, warning the unruly, and let him know that the next time he showed up with the signs that were defaming our character, that law enforcement would be called and he would be taken away. And you're saying, you called a cop on somebody? Yes, we did. To protect the body of Christ from um, incorrect information, from a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And sure enough, law enforcement showed up that Sunday and he was handcuffed and put in the back of the car, and he received a letter from an attorney that was representing our church, pro bono, a Christian attorney outfit that said, you are in jeopardy of breaking the law, and there you are breaking the law, and you're in jeopardy of a consequence. And that, it's a bit long of an explanation, but that helped bring us to the table of conversation where finally at the table we could agree that he wasn't to be doing what he was doing because he was incorrect in his assumption of who we are and what we teach. It was it was our God's best at not Rendering evil for evil. We sought to methodically, biblically address this. Why? Because of this, what Paul says. What are you in pursuit of this morning? This would be a good post-Christmas question. Webster's Dictionary says that To pursue is to chase after someone or something. To be in the chase. You're pursuing that. That is something you you haven't quite got it, but you're in in pursuit of it. What are you in pursuit of this morning? Paul tells the Thessalonians that they are to be in pursuit of what is good. Not only for themselves, but for others. For all. We were in our small midweek group. Uh, Wednesday nights we meet. We're going through the life and times of Jesus. We'll meet again this Wednesday. We took a break last week in lieu of Christmas Eve. Um, We'll meet again this Wednesday. And in one of our gatherings, we were talking about what we're thankful for. And someone mentioned that, you know, God is the one that is in charge of minting out vengeance that if we leave those things in his hands it's the best for our heart and our lives and our walk with God. And that's what Paul said. See that no one renders evil for evil but always pursue what is good for both yourselves and for all. And we talked about the fourfold ministry to every Christian about warning the unruly Comforting the feeble-minded, the weak, supporting uh, back up here, comforting the faint-hearted, upholding the weak, and being patient with all. We come now here, next I't see how much time we got to what I want to call the, the majestic three. Notice in verse 16, 17, and 18 what the apostle talks about to the believers there in Thessalonica. The Majestic Three, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Three powerful exhortations that can transform each one of our daily walks, our life in Christ. The majestic tree says, first of all, rejoice always. Of course, at the root of that word, rejoice, is the word joy. And to allow the joy of the Lord to be our strength. We've talked about this often through this book. But to allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength involves volition. It involves a choice. It involves your will to not let someone take your joy. Um, One of the gifts I got yesterday, while we did our gift exchange on Christmas Eve day. One of the gifts I got was uh, really sweet from my brother. I'll give you up today, Rick. Um, but it was classic, I hadn't seen this anywhere, but it's a t-shirt, and it says, I'm a pastor, be careful what you say, I may use you in my sermon. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's cool, you know, I mean, I can wear the shirt, and everybody will say, hi, Art, how are you? <laughs> Not saying another word, right? And uh. You know, we're talking about not giving up your joy to someone. To choose joy. One of our daughters has on a plaque in her home, today I choose joy. And beloved, isn't that really the crux of the matter? Is rejoice always How on earth does the Lord ask me to do that? How can he, you know, put this grand two-word exhortation in there and me live up to that? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling your life and your volition, not being insubordinate, but subordinate to Scripture that says, you know what, today I choose joy. Because it's a choice. I choose the joy of the Lord to be my strength. I choose not to have my circumstances dictate my attitude and my demeanor. I choose joy. That's what Paul's talking about. Rejoice always. doesn't mean to go through every day 24-7 and every week of every month, every month of every year, Flippantly happy about something, it means an inner condition of your soul and your spirit to choose the joy of the Lord. And this next one excites me as well because he says, Pray without ceasing. And I'm sure this is as far as we're going to get today. Pray without ceasing. How on earth how could someone pray without ceasing? To always be praying. Always, always, always praying. I'm reminded of Paul's letter to the Corinthian church when he talks about the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. I'll read a bit from the 14th chapter, 1 Corinthians. He says, Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For I pray in a tongue, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So Paul there is talking about having the gift of speaking in tongues as one of the evidences of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not an evidence of salvation, which is opposed to what fundamental uh, Pentecostalism teaches. Fundamental Pentecostalism teaches that if you are saved, you will speak in tongues as an evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the scriptures clearly teach that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of one who has been uh, immersed in the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit is love, Galatians. Joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, of which against there's. Law, I speak in tongues. I pray in tongues, I have a prayer language. If many often refer to it that way, but and if you desire that, the New Testament tells us to ask. Just ask your Father in heaven how much more He will give unto you the Holy Spirit. But it's not you know the, the gift of speaking in tongues is not some sort of you know um, gauge leveler of someone's spirituality and that's the unfortunate thing that sometimes hyper pentecostalism has created in the church is that as though if someone doesn't speak in tongues in fact paul goes on in 1st corinthians 14 do all do all teach do all uh, give miracles do all prophesy in the unspoken answer is no. Do all speak in tongues? No. But this praying always is one of those things that the gift of tongues can help and assist a believer in doing that. You're not going to be driving down the road and just praying in tongues. My spirit is being edified. My understanding is unfruitful, but my spirit is being edified. Pray without ceasing. Oftentimes when you're with other believers, Take some time to pray daily, hourly, momently. Moment by moment. Momently is not a word, I'm sorry. Moment by moment. To pray without ceasing. How? By asking the Spirit of God to lead us in that truth. And then finally, in everything, give thanks. Key word therein, not for. That in every situation, I can choose to give God thanks for it. Why? Because he said it is the will of God for my life, your life. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And what we have to do this morning, we have to, again, in closing, remember that That word you is not targeting the Thessalonian Christian 2,000 years ago. That that word you is a rhema word. It's a now word spoken for you and I this moment today as you came through those doors. What is God's will for my life? That in everything you would find a way to give him thanks. In everything. And Lord knows we've had many challenges this year of how can I give God thanks for this? How can I give him thanks for that? And he says, by trusting me that I'm working something for good in your life, though you may not fully understand it, right now, today, at this moment, I work all things together for the good to them that love God, To them that are called according to his purpose. Therefore, O beloved, in everything give thanks. Pray always, rejoice always. Don't render evil for evil, but be in pursuit of the things that are good, not only for yourself, but for all. Warn, comfort, uphold, and be patient and recognize those who labor among you. Great admonitions. We'll pick the rest up when we gather next time. May you join me in a closing word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning again for your precious word, for the privilege of gathering, for the opportunity to worship you and open up our hearts to allow you to to minister to us. Lord, we've spent much time these last few holiday days, uh, I know I have, I can't speak for everyone, but feeding my flesh and my soul And it has been delightful. But, Lord, to feed our spirit this morning, to have your word feed us, is such a delight. We trust you, Lord, that these truths are not just things that we will put on a shelf, but they are truths that we will employ in our life from this moment and this day forward and we know that we cannot do this ourselves it comes by no strength of our own but only by your grace the power your love and grace to make these things true of us as well we ask it lord in jesus name